It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba Effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Hey, Brando, Steve here. And Lars. And welcome back to Going In Raw Countout with all the talk lately of AEW's creative woes in terms of them not really telling the kind of stories they used to. We thought it'd be maybe productive, uh, constructive to uh, go back in time and take a look at the stories that AEW told over the past couple of years since their inception, because that's Mm -hmm. only been the past couple of years. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Stories that actually resonated, stories that had like maybe some twists and turns or interesting approaches, um, things that we kind of feel they've they've gone away from. And maybe if we provide some examples of stuff, then like you know, people be like, "Oh yeah, why don't they do that kind of stuff anymore?" Yes. Um, yes. So yeah, your AW's top ten stories. That's what we're going at today, Larson. On yes, count out. Let me ask you a question before we get started on here. Yeah, of course. Um, in terms of overall philosophy, some themes, some some motifs, mm-hmm. some, uh, some common elements that were going through some of these stories. Um, mm-hmm. That you feel like AEW, just in generalities, nothing mm-hmm. yeah. to talk specifics, that you think AEW, Tony Khan, would benefit from looking into further. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, I, one that was obvious to me is in several of these stories, what you see is not just this is the story. For example, uh, uh, MGF and CM Punk. Yeah, right. That's just not the only story involving some of the the principles in that story. A parallel to that story, we have another one we're going to talk about during here, and while they nail the landing, MJF and Wardlow. Those stories were going in parallel. Um, uh, stories yeah. would cross over. Yeah, people feuding in various stories would cross over. That would happen a lot more than it has uh, in recent months. You know what's funny is that I think you had mentioned this maybe in the last count out when we were talking about things that they could fix with AEW. And by the way, we're going back to WrestleMania season next week. We're going to do yes. the worst WrestleMania builds. Promise it's um, going to happen. But uh, we felt like, you know, a celebration of what AEW has done right, I think was mm-hmm. probably in order after last week's telling them what to do. Um, no, I, I something that was interesting, and I understand that just by virtue of the timeline, much of what they did was during pandemic mm-hmm. uh, at daily, the, the daily's place era. Yeah. But it did feel like maybe the lack of crowds was something trying to overcome that they got a bit, a bit more, I don't know, interested in character motivation, mystery. And when I say mystery, I mean, MJF invades the inner circle. What is his motivation? Is it, uh, actually to uh, to to rule side by side with Chris Jericho. Eventually, I remember being surprised. He had already put together his own uh, faction on the side. And that was it. So to me, it, it has to do with character motivation. Mm-hmm. What is it? What does mm-hmm. this person want? What is he going after? Too often now, I feel like it's surface. It's just, it's yeah. out. There's no mystery behind it. Yep. The motivation is clear from the get-go. And I think the best stories... People want to know, okay, what is this guy up to? Because that keeps you tuning in 
for the next week? What is he going to do next? And will that provide further clues as to what they're going to do from there? Indeed. Yes. Good point. Good point. Let's let's dig in. Let's get started, Steve. All right. Let's start off with number 10. 10. Miro versus God. Now, watched, this doesn't. Yeah, sorry, go, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. You're, um, you're, you're Miro's number one fan. So go ahead. Um, so I watched some, some of the promos that he did, not just before, during his TNT title reign and after. And, uh, you know, once once Miro split off from Kip Sabian after being introduced as the best man, mm-hmm. you know, he came off as kind of a comedic character. But there was always something lurking there that you knew, okay, this isn't Miro's final form in AEW. Sure enough, right, yeah. he split from Kip. Uh, he debuted the Redeemer character, and shortly thereafter, he won the TNT title from Darby Allen. Um, after Darby, Darby had kind of burned himself out defending the mm-hmm. title over and over and over and over again. And at the time, it was this title I present to you, God. Yeah. And because yeah. I have this title, that means I am your chosen one. I am your favorite champion. Yeah, right. And and at, before every match, he would present the title to the heavens. Mm-hmm. And he dropped these incredible promos mm-hmm. talking about redeeming people. Um, uh, his flexible wife. Uh, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The juxtaposition of the sexual and you know the spiritual yes, was yes. thick with Miro. Oh, it was, it was and, and highly it was, entertaining. It, it was. It was wildly entertaining. It was wildly creative. It was something different. It was. Yeah. You know, we don't. So often in wrestling, we get these character archetypes that are just kind of maybe slightly altered or slightly repackaged. This was something. The Redeemer Miro was something we have maybe never seen in the world of wrestling. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, I, the it's a weird parallel, but this also and and here here's the thing about this particular story is that unfortunately we never really got maybe we will one day, but we never got whatever payoff might have been uh, might have might Miro have thought of. Oh, look at that! Look at what a, what a great friend I am. A little piece what of artwork there I did for you. Piece of artwork. I love yeah. this line. Have I not given your name enough praise? You gave me a body of granite and a neck of sand. Is that some I, kind of joke? Is that some kind? I watched that promo uh, yeah. researching this, and and yeah, I, I don't even know what kind of payoff uh, this character could have with his you know uh, uh, feud with God. And admittedly, this is here at number ten because it's, it's really doesn't. It's not like you know a matches based thing. This is going to be a weird analogy, but this is sort of like the closest AEW has gotten to somewhat of a Bray Wyatt type character uh, where the matches seem to be not quite as important at what as as what happens like in between the matches his motivation is is not external it's internal external to him because of the presence of god his belief in god but beyond that it's doesn't his motivation isn't in feuds or rivalries with wrestlers they are a means to an end to please God or not. Yeah, yeah. And then after he loses the title, he feels like God is displeased with him, but he wonders why, because look at all of the destruction I caused for you, God. Um, is that not enough? And now, not only did he lose his TNT title, apparently, to a degree, he lost his wife because he said, I can't come home to her without the title. And it's, you know, and it, it, it really is a, a bummer that we never got to see this story kind of follow through because he had a series of great promos after dropping the TNT title to Sammy, which is a mistake. He should have never lost that title to Sammy. Um, he got hurt. He had a bad hamstring. Um, he was out for a while, came back, put in the, the All-Atlantic title scene, and it was like, okay, here we go. Here's your avenue to put another title on him. You know, and, and you could continue the story w- between him and God in a slightly different vein where it's like, okay, you're pleased with me, but I'm still got a chip on my shoulder for you making me lose this title, the other title to begin with. Um, and they didn't do it. And they seem like they're, they're going to go to a, a feud with Malachi, the pagans, as Miro called them. And then House of Black took their leave. And we haven't seen Miro since. 
Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown with three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown. You get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at Wilmington and beaches vacation.com. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, let's move ahead with number nine. Nine. Mox versus Kenny Omega. So this dates back to uh, the first AEW pay-per-view, Double or Nothing. Mm -hmm. We're at the end of uh, the main event, I believe, was what, Mox Jericho, Mm -hmm. right? No, it was Uh, Kenny Jericho. Sorry, Kenny Jericho. Mox debuted and attacked uh, uh, Kenny Omega. And, uh, And we got sort of like... It was interesting because to watch the promos to the, you know, the, the build to their first match, um, it was very much like Mox comes in and Kenny was referencing people from where you come from, uh, meaning ex-WWE guys, which mm-hmm. is sort of a point of contention with a lot of AEW fans and, and you know, the, the conversation around AEW, the, the concept of the former WWE employee. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and of course, you know, we got some absolutely killer matches uh, between these two. Uh, of course, their first one was at. It was a lights out so, match. That was the actual first match. Yeah, and it was it was unsanctioned, and they did yeah. that great bit. And I remember you mentioned this the other day when we were talking about doing this. Was, you know, back then AEW would be a bit more clever in the way they told their story. So like, Tony Khan has never wanted to be. He showed up on screen a couple times. But he's never wanted to really be like an in storyline type character like mm-hmm. Bischoff was, for example, or Vince. And this is one time when he sort of broke that rule, but he appeared behind closed doors in audio only where Mox goes and he's demanding a match with Kenny. And you hear Tony Khan say, look, this has to be a, an unsanctioned match. You could do this lights out because we can't take responsibility for what's going to happen to you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and he was like, what? Like, you know, wins and losses, my win over him isn't going to matter. Like, that's bullshit. So there was a lot of, a lot of you know, good storyline stuff here uh, building up to that first match, um, the, the, the lights out match. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, after, after Mock's debut, they were supposed to have a match initially at uh, uh, All Out. Yeah. Um, and then Mox had the, the infection in his elbow, had to have surgery on it, so he couldn't mm-hmm. make it pack filled in for yeah. Mox against Kenny. Um, and then uh, Mox made his re-debut, if you will, mm-hmm. on the first episode of Dynamite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where he put and Kenny through that glass table. The, the coffee it. table, I know. Yeah. That was a vicious spot with the paradigm it shift. Was. Um, and it was really our first look at John Moxley rather than Dean Ambrose. Yeah, right. How are these characters going to be different? Answer a lot different. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, if 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 anybody was familiar with Moxley's work prior to WWE and CZW and whatnot, um, it, it gave you a better idea of what he was about as opposed to anything he did at WWE. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, the level of violence, of physicality, and that lights out match, man! Holy cow! Yeah, it was absolutely nuts. The it, glass, it was crazy that the giant the, hunk of chain, the weird barbed wire. Constru- like a, 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 it was almost like a barbed wire bed. Yeah, like a giant barbed wire bed. Yeah, it was. It was absolutely nuts. Uh, of course, Mox won that one, mm-hmm. um, and then and then they sort of their their paths sort of took a different turn. Of course, Omega went and did all the stuff with Hangman being a tag team champion. Mm-hmm. Uh, when that fell apart, uh, Omega ended up you know becoming number one contender. Meanwhile, Moxley moved on and became world champion. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got, you know, heel Kenny Omega, uh, that match at winter is coming, um, ended up being, you know, sort of the beginner of the beginning of the belt collector, Kenny Omega, who was completely over the top. Yeah. Um, and so they had that winter is coming match. That's where Kenny won the title. Cheated um, to win. 
cheated a win with the microphone mm-hmm. and Don Callis. And so we had kind of, it's funny because as we got like all the different phases of Kenny Omega as a character with his long lasting feud with Mox, you know, come, leaving it and coming back to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but Mox sort of was the same throughout, which was kind of interesting. Again, when you're dealing with characters and how they can change during the course of a feud or when a feud is revisited. You sort of look at the same thing with Mox's old shield guys, mm-hmm. Seth Rollins and, and Roman Reigns. When mm-hmm. they revisit a rivalry, they're much different characters than they were before, but they can play off that history. Exactly. That's something they've done uh, to, to great success with, with Seth and Roman. Um, and, uh, of course, after Kenny won the belt, then they had the exploding barbed wire match. match itself was a lot of fun. Uh, the finish, of course... Uh, 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 pretty notorious for not going as planned. Had a couple yeah. sparklers going off. Widely mocked. Yeah, the, uh, the the finish to that match. Pew pew pew. Yeah, I mean, I guess there was supposed to be more grandiose that was planned and, and constructed. It just didn't work. So, but if it wasn't for that for that happening, we would never have gotten Kenny Omega saying sixty nine me Don. I know. <laughs> because Kingston covered Moxley yeah. Yeah. to save him from the sparklers. Yeah. All that. <laughs> they tried to kayfabe that uh the sparklers uh, and stuff and that was that shit was so funny yeah oh making fun of that. dry humping your friend on the ground <laughs> anyways um so yeah uh so yeah omega lost that and then they continue to feud like at mox and and ken and eddie uh, you know, be, got on the same page, and yeah. they would continue to feud a little bit here and there. But, uh, but yeah, it's that kind of thing where number one, watching this back, you just see how vital Kenny Omega should be to the company, and how he's kind of not right now. Yeah. Um. And and that that's a shame when you see these guys go at it, and that story of you know Kenny Omega, the guy who's never been really in WWE, Mox reaching the highest of highs in WWE, and then them coming together makes for some really interesting stuff. It does. It does. And, of course, you know, Kenny had lost uh, his first official AEW match, losing to Jericho. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the winner of that match eventually went on to to, to contend for the world title. Um, and then Kenny lost the pack at All yeah. Out, too. So mm-hmm. this was Kenny coming into AEW on a bit of a losing streak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, which is always interesting because, you know, if you remember that first year or so, the elite were not afraid to lose and put other people over and spotlight yeah. other people. And, yeah. and you know, there was some criticism behind that. So early that next year, uh, they really started to pick it up with the Young Bucks winning the tag titles and Kenny winning the world title and mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so interesting stuff. But, yeah, the 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 juxtaposition, the, the, the dichotomy of, uh, of Mox and – Kenny has always been an interesting one and had a lot of good stuff going on in it. Yep, they did. And, and, and hats off to Kenny for, you know, he wrestles a physical style, but mm-hmm. there's wrestling a physical style and getting, you know, like slammed on a, a coil of, of thick chain. That's something yeah. else entirely. The glass, yeah. you know. It's, yeah. There were some pretty crazy spots in that Lights Out match. Yeah, no, absolutely. That was that was a great one. But that first, just that, I remember, I remember watching that first dynamite at the end of it, seeing that that Death Rider through the uh, through the glass was awesome. Yeah, that was crazy. Uh, let's move on to number eight. Eight. Cody Rhodes versus Dustin Rhodes. Nightmare Brothers going at natural. it. Yeah. So this was the build to. They didn't even have TV at the time. It nope. was the very first pay per view. Was double or nothing. It was after All In. You know, they had established this company with Tony Khan. And so the build to this was going on in sort of like two shows. The build to the pay-per-view was going on two shows, being the Elite. And then there was Road to Double or Nothing mm-hmm. on the Nightmare Family YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's really, really, I highly recommend everybody going and look at those old Road to episodes because it's like, you know, QT Marshall wearing like a polo shirt being Cody's right-hand man. It was before he had the hair transplant. Yeah. So he was balding. He just he looked like management. And it which is great for him because these days QT Marshall say what you will about how they use him. He looks amazing. Like mm-hmm. he really did mm-hmm. go from, you know, uh from schlub to winner. Um but also just watching Cody very seriously uh build his role as guy who put together AEW because this outlines everything. You know, he's on a dozen FaceTime calls with the Jackson brothers, with Kenny. Mm-hmm. Um, he's recruiting people. He's recruiting wrestlers. Uh, you see him, you know, uh, call up a Jungle Boy and sign him. 
And so it takes 13 episodes of 14th. this. There's a 14th. I saw 14th. No, I was going to say oh, 13 sorry. to announce the opponent. Gotcha. Or it might have been on the 13th one, they go to the thing, and then on the 14th one, it's announced. But anyways, so he sends it. So there's a big mystery over who Cody's going to fight. And then in the 13th or 14th episode, we finally find out it's Dustin. Mm-hmm. And you get to just hear. And honestly, this is it's just built over a couple video promos, mm-hmm. really. And again, it just sort of like illustrates character motivation because Dustin believes that this challenge is coming from his brother within the context of we're family. Cody says, "Mm -mm, this has to do with me bearing the attitude era. They built up up so much for us, but then made it impossible for us to improve the game, Mm -hmm. for us to improve from then on out. Said something about... You know, they uh, they they built a highway, but set the speed limit at 35 miles an hour. We couldn't go any further and it killed the my peers generations. And he viewed, obviously, the gold dust character, Dustin's character as sort of the epitome of that. And I think it wasn't double or nothing when he smashed the throne. Yeah, it must have been. I, th- I think it was. Yeah. Um, with the sledgehammer. And uh, and then, you know, they have this absolutely killer match. Oh, fantastic. Just a beautiful, beautiful match. Very bloody. And then we get the big twist at the end where Cody says, I don't need a partner because he wants to take on the Young Bucks. Yeah. I need my brother. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) And then they Uh, hug. Yeah. And there's not a dry in the house. Nope. Nope. Not at all. Not at all. As as if Cody has has, uh, exercised the attitude era from his brother Mm -hmm. at the end of the match uh, uh, via all the blood in the ring. Yeah. Um and and with that, Dustin is born anew mm-hmm. into this current generation of wrestling, and mm-hmm. therefore they as a team could take on arguably the greatest team of this generation, the Young Bucks. Right. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It, it's interesting that rather than framing it as and, and Cody, the 14th episode of of Road Two is like a four minute soliloquy from okay, Cody. Yeah. It's yeah. like talking about the biblical parable of the the prodigal son. Luke one fifteen, I think yeah. it was. Um, yeah. And 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 there is a video package. I remember playing in 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 the, the MGM Grand before the match, where Cody says it's not about that. It's just, this is a generational battle. Mm-hmm. This isn't brother versus brother. Mm-hmm. This is his generation versus mine. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, it, it was really even if you didn't watch the Road to yeah series in advance of the match, if you watched that. I think it's a minute and a half video package. It's mm-hmm. there. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. It's yeah. simple. But you yeah. but based on the video package and how the match played out, the story's right there. The, the beauty in this story is the simplicity. Like yeah. the match is not overly complicated. There's not a whole right. lot of showy, flashy spots. Mm-hmm. It's just a really well constructed, well told, simple story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, and then they, you know, they go in and they talk, I think they took the loss to the Young Bucks, right? I'm pretty sure they. I did. believe so, yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, it was just it, like you said, simplicity. You know mm-hmm. that that sometimes that's all you need. <clears throat> but the the character motivation, as simple as it is, isn't just hey, I'm better than you. It's there's a lot of stakes in this for historical context, mm-hmm. and then you add the family stuff into it, or even vice versa. You know, um, yeah, yeah, it's just really good. The thing that I love about this too is that watching, and I, I think I texted you this shit. Uh, watching the road to, you know, he delivers Dustin in the preceding episode in 13 when it's revealed that it's him. I mean, it's like six or seven minutes of him basically talking and walking around his ranch Mm -hmm. and uh, talking about, you know, Cody growing up and him growing up. And then Cody gives that four minute bit. And then the next episode, it's like uh, Jericho, you know, it breaks into Cody's house (laughs) and is sitting at his desk and Cody walks in and evil Jericho wants a public uh, appreciation for him. Even back then in these little road twos, he's yeah. doing silly WWE shit, the same stuff he's doing now. Yeah. And it's like, Cody was just citing Bible verse. And now, you know, he's got to deal with Jericho wanting people to say thank you. Exactly. To him. Exactly. Interesting foreshadowing to uh, Cody versus Jericho. Mm-hmm. Um, what that would happen at right after Jericho won the title. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, it kind of interesting in how this type of thing seems to be what Cody Rhodes had envisioned 
for AEW. I mean, if you watch this, you would think that this is the mastermind behind it all. Watch, you know, the entire series because it's just him going out recruiting person after person mm-hmm. after person, and and it, it it does it makes you wonder, you know, what expectations he had going forward for his own role in AEW, and then what those expectations how they actually paid off, mm-hmm. and seemingly it was in an underwhelming enough way for him to be like, yeah, I'm not. I mean, if like I said, if you watch this, it's like he built the damn place, yeah. you know, and it's yeah. clear he did put a lot of work into it. I don't think they went out and filmed all this stuff as at, at being fake. They might have staged some of the stuff, yeah. but it does seem clear that Cody was involved heavily mm-hmm. in the AEW stuff. So yeah. yeah, kind of interesting to see that now with, you know, four or five years of, uh, you know, in, of time in passing and him not even being with the company anymore. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to number seven. Seven. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. MJF invades the inner circle. Now, this is the most classic example, I think, that we've gotten to so far on this list of like, and I know you could call it WWE style of story or whatever, but of wrestling week to week televised wrestling storytelling Mm -hmm. that played out over the course of of numerous months. So Mm -hmm. um, I, I believe MJF is fresh off a defeat at the hands of John Moxley for the AEW championship. Mm-hmm. where MJF pivots and, and tries to join the inner circle. And now at this juncture, MJF has already turned on Cody. More on that in a little bit. Um, he's well-established as a heel. Of course, at the same time, the inner circle uh, is is a heel faction as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and MJF makes a plea to Chris Jericho. I want in. Mm-hmm. I want to be a part yeah. of this. I want to learn from you. I want to sit under your learning tree. And before before that... There was a whole lot of teasing between yes. the two of them where they'd be like, well, I, I, I think I'd be good in the inner circle. Do you think so? Well, I think you'd be good. Do you think I'd be, it'd be, it was, it was very, they were like, neither one wanted to admit that they wanted yes. MJF in the inner circle. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and so a match was set up between MJF and Jericho. If MJF won, he'd be granted entry into the inner circle. And sure enough, he won. And, and, and. Mm. The expectation, I think, from at least in my part, maybe a lot of people, was that MJF was going to infiltrate the inner circle and pit everybody against Chris Jericho and take it over mm. for himself. Right, exactly, yeah. And so when the reveal was, I joined the inner circle to destroy it from within because I have my own awesome faction yeah. waiting for me to destroy yeah. you. Yeah. Um, that was an interesting little twist there. You had Sammy Guevara always being suspicious of MJF's motives, always yeah. questioning his actions. Um, we got a st- stadium stampede match from this feud. We got the first mm-hmm. blood and guts match from this feud. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had a- another match between MJF and Chris Jericho, where if Jericho had lost, Jericho would have to retire, mm-hmm. put yeah, his right. career on the line. Yeah. Um, and obviously Chris Jericho won that last match, but it was, you know, it, it, it was a feud that after, the Cody story with MGF really kicked. AEW has actually done a really, really good job building up, taking their time and building up MJF step by step Mm -hmm. to be where he is now. A credible champ. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and this feud with the inner circle was just essentially, Hey, you're gonna do this. And guess what? Guess what you got next? You got Phil. That's your Mm -hmm, next major feud. Yeah. Um, and that's the one that really established MJF as, Champion and waiting, pretty much. <clears throat> also, um, we wouldn't have had, if not for this feud, dinner debonair. Yes, <laughs> in the first 
musical number that I can remember in, in modern pro wrestling anyways. Yeah, a ballsy um, move. And it was it was if nothing else, it was a ballsy move. Um and yeah, even even the dinner debonair debonair thing, debonair, debonair thing, it was something different. You know, not everything is going to pan out, although a lot of people love it, a lot of people hate it. Um, I'm sort of on the fence. Like I, I, it is very ballsy. It's really corny and cheesy, but that's the point of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and but but it was something very different, and and I appreciate that. But the biggest thing I appreciate, I, I said at the head of the show, was simply what is MJF going to do, mm-hmm. and the tension within the group between you know Wardlow and Hager for some good you know kind of semi comedic relief but also are these big men going to throw down mm-hmm. um all the different members of the inner circle they did a really good job of giving them their own reaction to this outsider coming in who clearly has an ulterior motive mm-hmm. and them not trusting that Jericho was seeing things clearly mm-hmm. that right there week to week is compelling storytelling because you don't there are so many unknowns because there are so many people and so many motivations and so many insecurities and nobody knows how they're all going to react is sammy just gonna leave is he gonna get kicked out there was like the big ultimatum moment um it was just week to week it was just really interesting stuff and again it took place during pandemic and i always appreciated how daily's place was set up so that really the hard cam Behind the hard cam was just like the tunnels. They didn't have, you know, you could see when when they would go from side to side, you'd see, pe- you know, they'd fill up the wrestlers yeah. on the sides. They'd pump in a little bit of uh, a crowd noise, but just enough to make it seem like it was like, you know, th- not a ton of people there, mm-hmm. but they gave mm-hmm. reactions. And, and from a presentation standpoint, it just worked. It did not feel as empty as WWE's product at the time, yeah, because yeah. you had so many people involved in this stuff. Yeah, it really did, and even even a, a difference of having the wrestlers uh, sitting ringside. Oh yeah, and doing things. Yeah, right. You know, yeah. betting on matches, drinking, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not just there. You know, in NXT they had wrestlers uh, or you know trainees there around the ringside area, and they were just yay. Yeah, they were just trained booing. to cheer or boo if you're a good guy or a bad guy. But they yeah. were doing nothing to establish who these characters are. And at least AEW endeavored to do that um, with while making the venue feel like it was more lively than just an empty amphitheater. And yeah, it was great because not only were they, like you said, doing stuff, but like the bad guys would cheer the bad guys, mm-hmm. the good guys would cheer the good guys. And so it was, it was a very creative a very inspired idea to deal with during pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was definitely one of the more interesting feuds during that time. One of the more interesting stories during that time. Indeed. Indeed. Let's move Let's on. Move number on. six, Steve. Number six. Six. Cody and MJF. So the feud that for MJF preceded MJF in the inner circle, yes. like you said, was Cody. Now, I think that uh, this feud stemmed from Cody forcing MJF into wearing a Star Trek shirt during his entrance at uh, whatever it was. Uh, but, uh, of course, Cody had, uh, written a stipulation. Was it him versus, was it him versus Jericho? Yeah, it was him versus yeah. Jericho. Yeah. And the stipulation was, of course, if he loses that match, he can't vie for the world title again. And MJF had his corner. And I know I'm pretty sure you and I were like, oh yeah, this guy, he's got to oh, yeah, turn definitely, on him. Definitely. You know, the <laughs> but, story, yeah. like MJF already had a reputation based on his work in the indies and a little bit of, we've seen him in AEW as being a heel and a major oh, one at that. It's funny, too, because even in the going back to the Cody Road 2s, uh, MJF is introduced in one of yeah. those episodes, yeah. and he's just a piece of shit. Yeah. Like, as, yeah, he's still just a piece of shit. But he seemed to get along really well with Cody yeah. all, all along the way, and there were so many opportunities for him to prove himself otherwise, and he'd always be on the up and up. Yeah. And so this was the big moment. Yes. And of course, he throws it. I think he like threw in the towel. He didn't threw in he? the towel while Cody was in the walls of Jericho, I believe. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And then, and then he gave him a low blow after the match. And Cody was like, "Oh crap! I probably shouldn't have written that stipulation in there." Yeah. And then this was this was the first time MJF put the barriers in front of, of someone to get the match with him. And mm-hmm. we this you know it, it saw MJF give Cody the lashes, 
is the cage match against Warlow where Cody did that crazy moonsault off the top. That was not, I think Cody says he regrets that. Yeah, too. he did yeah. say he regrets that. Yeah. And he earned his match with MJF, MJF, and he put MJF over. Yeah, MJF won that match. Yeah. Yeah, the Dynamite Diamond Ring punched Cody with it. Yeah. Yeah. And and it really set MJF MJF off on on his path becoming, you know, a major pillar in the company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and like you said, you know, that went a long way towards getting him where he is now. Seemingly mm-hmm. everybody understood that MJF should be a made man because everybody is, you know, like we're, we're going to talk about in a couple entries here. Well, that's a little ways from now, but, uh, but yeah, including CM Punk who, you know, got, took that loss in Chicago against MJF, which was a massive, massive deal. Yeah. Uh, so let's move on to number five, five. Kenny Omega, the belt collector. This was tons of fun. So, of course, at Winter is Coming, he beat John Moxley for the AEW title via cheating. Mm-hmm. And then he proceeded to go to Impact, beat Rich Swan mm-hmm. for the Impact World title. He actually had two of them. He had the the, the official one and the one Moose had. Yeah, the eBay title, yeah. So he had the two of those. He went to AAA, won the Mega mm-hmm. Championship. Mm-hmm. He had all the belts, yeah. seemingly. Yeah. Um, and he was super obnoxious. Yeah. He was going to Impact all the time. He was in... Triple A somewhat uh, regularly. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe he defended That's that Lenny belt Omega. once or twice. I don't even know how many times he defended it. <laughs> he had like the crazy like Triple H uh, facial hair yeah. at various times. He'd wear like the crazy co- uh, uh, outfits Suits and stuff. And, yeah, and the expensive shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just doing some incredible uh, uh, promo work as well. And, you know, it's, un- it's unfortunate that, you know, I don't know if he entered into his title reigns or he a little kind of beat up a little bit. But I always remember an episode of, of Impact where he was trying to run out to the ring at the end of the show. Yeah, and you could just tell he it, it, he was in massive amounts of pain. He had bad a bad shoulder, bad knees. He had a hernia. Well, we had also speculated, I think, I think appropriately so or truthfully so, that he was. I remember that spot, and I'm pretty sure they had filmed that the same yeah. day after. He had already had who knows? I don't even know what. Who, oh, it was probably the, the day match. after he had the match against Rich Swan. Yeah, that could have been, or he, honestly, it could have been an hour or two after. They might have been like, "Hey, let's film this stuff now while we can." Mm-hmm. I don't know, mm-hmm. but because um, it's not like I don't think they had crowds at the time. But uh, but yeah, no, I, I remember being sh- floored, floored when he won the the AEW title, and then Callis says, "You'll see us on Tuesday." And you, me, and Enforcer, I think, were watching live at the time. Yeah, and because it's like one of the clips on our channel. And uh, he says, uh, Marvez is out there near the limo, the the SUV limo. He says, he says, Tuesday, Dynamite's on Wednesday. He says, nope, we'll see you at Impact Wrestling. And we were like, holy shit. That was absolutely nuts. It was. Um, Of course, Kenny going to Impact brought us uh, Tony Khan's paid ads. It brought us paid ads and it brought us Smash Zone because – we started watching. Uh, we started doing the Impact co streams, and then uh, and then they stopped doing those on Twitch, and so we were like, "Oh, well, we got to replace with something. Replace it with Smash Zone." Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, the best hour of the week. Uh, but yeah, no. And then and that sort of leads into our number one entry. But we'll get to that in four more entries. Uh, yes. Number four, four. Britt Baker versus Thunder Rosa. You know, dude, I really honestly thought with how much. How many different twists and turns there were in this uh, and and how well and how popular Thunder Rosa and Britt Baker both ended up being right after this. And because of this story of theirs, that Tony Khan would recognize the value of like booking his women's division with good stories, good characters and giving them consistently do consistently that, yes. and giving them tons of time. Yeah. Um, and uh, and he's sort of I remember right after Thunder Rosa won the cage match in San Antonio. Mm hmm. Uh, it was like within weeks he was already focusing on the TBS championship and Jade Cargill, mm-hmm. and Thunder Rosa was completely an afterthought. And I remember being very disappointed by well, that. Well, it was the the dynamite after she won the title. I think she had an interview on the stage and was instantly interrupted. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, the, the 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 kind of origins of this one is you know Thunder Rosa. She was the NWA Women's Champion. Mm-hmm. Arrived on Dynamite. She says, "I want to put this women's division on the map. Mm-hmm. I'm the one yeah. to do it." Yeah, and, course, and at the time she was still signed. Yes. she was not signed to AEW. They couldn't sign her because she was still with NWA. Yeah. Everybody's like, yeah. "How long is that going to be?" Um, and of course, Britt, 
she had undergone her own heel turn um and you know she considered herself the role model mm-hmm. and and i think partially because of that she thought she should be the face of the women's yeah. division in AEW yeah. and so they feuded uh, had 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 a couple matches a tag match um, which led to the lights out match between the two of them mm-hmm. oh um, man which was a stellar match which was an awesome star making performance for both competitors um, you know, the, there's there's an iconic image of Brit blood pouring out, out down her face, looking at the camera. Yeah. Um, and 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 based on on both their performances, I mean, like Brit was elevated immensely. Thunder Rosa got the win on Brit after losing to her twice previously in singles mm-hmm. matches. Yeah. Um, but then they they went their separate ways, and Brit up towards the title picture, mm-hmm. not too long after this, and she claimed the the championship, and then they had a match. Um, uh, the story kind of going into their title bout was essentially Thunder Rose can beat Britt Baker if it's one on one. Yeah, but the issue was it's never one on one with Britt because there's Rebel and there's Jamie Hader at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so of course the pay per view match, Rebel Jamie Hader get involved, Thunder Rosa loses, and that set up the cage match in San Antonio a couple weeks later, where Thunder Rosa got the win. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah, I remember the her big entrance attire and it, it was just, it was a really, really just awesome moment. And you really feel like, man, you know, this is the conclusion to a really great story. Where is it going to go from here? And then, I mean, that's kind of the, the one of the major issues still with AEW creative is that they craft when they, a lot of times craft a really interesting story. Yeah. The issue is, well, what do we do after that? Right. How do we, we take the momentum of, of either competitor and carry it on mm-hmm. yeah. to more and that, interesting things? That definitely can be said about the next one. Number three. Three. MJF and Wardlow. Uh, So after MJF had turned on Cody, he hired Wardlow, previously seen uh, picking fights in parking lots. No, not picking fights, defending his girlfriend in parking lots. That's right. Yeah, he he was one... Evidently being picked on, he just started throwing dudes around in a parking lot. Yeah. Uh, in any event, he was hired as MJF's bodyguard. He was under contract to MJF. Now, this story was it, this was really great stuff because MJF treated Wardlow kind of like shit, not and, kind of like absolute. <laughs> and you would see the worse it got. And Wardlow had like a very Jim from the office esque thing going yeah. where, you know, he, somebody would say something and he'd go like this, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so MJF, he would just, he would treat him like absolute shit. He put like Sean Spears in charge of him. He'd be very condescending to him. Wardlow would tag along with the pinnacle. Cause you know, he was at MJF side all the time, but yeah. it, it created an interesting situation where MJF was like, you you don't work for AEW. You work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, Wardlow took a loss against Cody. He at the, In the steel cage match, he took a loss, a roll-up loss against CM Punk. Um, and he would be put in these impossible situations with MJF. And then when Wardlow wouldn't be able to get out of him, MJF would run him down, call yeah. him an oaf. Yeah. Uh, I remember one time Sean Spears re- referred to him as like a one-move wonder. Um, and you see Wardlow in the background, like, oh, and the entire time throughout all these feuds, it was like, I don't know, a year or two mm-hmm. throughout all these feuds, people are just waiting. Yeah. Just oh, we all know it's coming. Waiting. We all know it's coming. Waiting for this guy yeah. to just lay him out. And that moment, uh, let me ask you this. Sure. So the moment that Wardlow finally turned yeah. on MJF was, of course, during the dog collar match yeah. comes out. And uh, he had been pivotal in helping MJF beat CM Punk in Chicago. Mm-hmm. This time, after so much abuse, he takes the dynamite diamond ring and he just puts it on well, the apron. First, MJF calls for him to come out. And, and so yeah. Wardlow comes out. He's patting his suit like he doesn't know where it's it. at. I don't know where it's at. And yeah. MJF's like, you had one job. And mm-hmm. that distraction allows Punk to hit a GTS. And mm-hmm. that's when Wardlow puts the ring on the apron and just kind of says, do what you're going to do. Do what you're going to do. Exactly. So CM Punk knocks him out with that and wins the dog collar match. Uh, it was just a spectacular match, but that was a great moment. Now, let me ask you this. In in hindsight, the fact that – now, I, I think it was probably best, given that we had that MJF Wardlow match and nobody really knew how that was going to go down, but they didn't have Wardlow put his hands on MJF as the turn. Yeah. It was – Clearly, I'm not going to help you this time. I'm out. 
as the turn. Do you think we should have gotten that first moment where he snaps on MJF and turns and and physically you know ass- I th- assaults him? I think given how the double or nothing match went between MJF and Wardlow, you think okay, then maybe from Wardlow's perspective there should have been a more decisive turn on MJF. But if if that match at double or nothing hadn't gone so paint by numbers if you will because MJF status was seemingly in flux with the company. If we got a more satisfying conclusion to the story, I, I don't know if we would have had, if you'd be asking that question essentially. I agree. Yeah, no, I, think, I, I agree totally. I think the image of Wardlow putting that ring, which is so pivotal to MJF's fortunes um, so far at AEW, and essentially saying, it's yours if you want it, punk. Yeah. I think that was yeah. pretty, it was pretty powerful unto itself. Um, and to their credit, they filmed that that bit perfectly because mm-hmm. when he puts it down, you know, it's a little tiny ring. It's hard to get into focus. They yeah. had that camera ready to go. It was yeah. in focus. So, yeah, it was yeah, really well it done. It was good stuff. So after that, uh, MJF obviously not too happy about Warlow. Your mind's Warlow. You're under contract with me. Mm-hmm. You know, the, 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 the financial stability of your entire family rests mm-hmm. on my shoulders because I yeah. am paying you. Yeah. And I am not letting you out of your deal. You are going to fall in line. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually that leads to Wardlow doesn't listen. And of course, in, in typical MJF style, Wardlow has to jump through some hoops to get his match with MJF. Yeah. He has to take his lashings. And unlike Cody, who buckled on every single one, <laughs> Wardlow took his 10, didn't flinch. That was awesome. That was. I, I remember watching that and being like, oh, that's a spin on it. He's no selling the lashes. Yeah. That's cool. Um, he took Wardlow's theme away, thinking the crowd wouldn't get excited about his his arrival. No, yeah. they started chanting his name. His name was his theme song. Super creative, yeah. He made him uh, uh, be handcuffed basically at all times unless he was actively wrestling. And they had him surrounded by security so he wouldn't attack MJF, but it yeah. just made it, it gave you Goldberg vibes. That yeah, was it really did between that and, yeah. and, and, the, and the chance of his name totally. And the chance, yeah. 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 Um, and eventually he beat uh, Sean Spears in a cage match when MJF was the special guest ref. Mm-hmm. And he got his match against MJF, and it's unfortunate that you know MJF, uh, you know, uh, no showed the meet and greet, and there was all that going on leading into this match, which which seemingly was going to be a, a a bit of a, a coronation for Wardlow in terms of he's the main event guy now. Yeah, he was going to beat MJF, and, I, and I'm guessing in Tony Khan's eyes, this was the springboard is going to launch Wardlow. Uh, up into the, the 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 upper mid card, if not the main event, and we got another top guy. The match didn't go down as planned, and then for whatever reason, they put Wardlow in a lawsuit angle right after this with Mark Sterling. You and know, momentum gone. It's interesting though because I mean, he did give MJF the power bombs. He did pin him. They could have easily salvaged that situation, but the very next night he says, I don't want to go after the world title. Yeah. <laughs> he said, I want to go after the TNT title. I know. And it's like, why what? Like, dude, roll with it. You know, you can you can find a way to veer him off in a different direction you know what they should with have somebody done. else. Yeah. I think we talked about this at the time. So he had a uh, I think with I remember if any of his wins while MJF was employing him, counted towards the rankings. Yeah, right. Yeah, I remember we did talk about that. And so once he was out from MJF's contract, signed with All Elite, his 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 record should have been zero and zero. And we talked about that. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. And he has to start all over. And you got to go on like a win streak and build your way back up instead of walking out there and saying, I don't need the world title. I'm going to go after the TNT title instead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then, but no, like you said, they had like a lawsuit thing, you know? I, I forget that was a double or nothing. That's when uh, that's when Punk won, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's when Punk won. Yeah, you know, you could have had Wardlow come out, look at stare down Punk. Crowd's going crazy, and but with the understanding, hey, I'm a I've got a contract with Aid. Did they ever give Wardlow the uh, the graphic? I think the so. AW graphic. Okay, so. if he'd come out and said. I'm starting from the bottom because I'm new here technically with AEW, but I'm coming after that. He looks like a main event guy. He mm-hmm. looks like a guy who then is going to step up to that next level. He just needs some time to get there because of circumstance, yeah. because yeah. of all that. Yeah. And and they didn't even give that thought. They didn't put that thought in our head because that's also doing a good thing for Punk because it's like, hey, Punk, 
you got a lot of you got a lot of guys coming after you now, and this young, hungry, giant man here mm-hmm. is going to be one of them. Um, but instead, Mark Sterling was like, "Hey, I'm going to represent all these bodyguards." Yeah, stuff. that you powerbomb didn't Security take you to court. Rather. Yeah, way to sap all his momentum. Yeah, and Every he hasn't really. He hasn't really uh, recovered from then. Yeah, that, no. that, that's an absolute bummer. But the actual story, all that stuff leading up to double or nothing, I'm telling you, if 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 they had just continued that momentum, even after that paint-by-numbers match, mm-hmm. he would have been. He could have been a main eventer by now, I think. Yeah, it's entirely yeah. possible. Entirely yeah. possible. Uh, let's move on to number two. Two. MJF versus CM Punk. It was no doubt, no debate. The highlight of CM Punk's AEW run. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I went and uh, and found a, a supercut of basically every segment they did. Some, some. I think they were from the Road Two um, shows. Some clips from matches here and there. It was it was really well put together. Well, somebody and, did like yeah. I think it's it a forty seven minute one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's really it was. Good. It's got like two million. It's called "Better Than You," the complete CM Punk yeah, versus MJF feud from from outside interference. Is that like two million views? Yeah, it's really well put together. It's mm-hmm. it's 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 a you know it's, it's forty seven minutes. It's long, so it takes time commitment. But if you really want to revisit this feud yeah. and this story, that's the 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 place to go rather than have mm-hmm. to find various dynamites all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, and and seeing it self-contained in, in in one piece like that, you do have to admire how they structured it, you mm-hmm. know. And and of course, when when the feud was was initiated because CM Punk interrupted uh, MJF when he was declaring himself the best and said, "No, in the locker room, is good, willing to step up to me." Out comes yeah. Phil. MJF offers his hand. Phil smirks, walks away. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's so many parallels between CM Punk and MJF. Yeah. MJF's catchphrase, I'm better than you. And you mm-hmm. know it. Well, uh, when when CM Punk was doing the straight edge thing in Ring of Honor, the culmination of his catchphrase, it was, I'm better than you. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. there's so many details that match up between their careers um, so well. And they reference those a ton throughout the story mm-hmm. in terms of referencing um, Punk's past and WB and Ring of Honor. I mean, the basic crux of this is it starts out, Punk interrupts MJF. MJF drops a promo. That's kind of low-hanging fruit. It kind of mm-hmm. kicks off the feud. It leads to the first match in Chicago where MJF got a visual win and an actual win. He essentially beat Punk twice in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. And then they, after that match, that's when they really kick it up. And that's mm-hmm. when MJF talks about being a massive CM Punk fan. And mm-hmm. and and the day that Punk quit, and he drops this promo in Chicago and in, in Cleveland, mm-hmm. the city where Punk walked out on WB. Yeah, um, and it says the day that you did that, I gave up my dream to be a pro wrestler mm-hmm. because I thought if you couldn't make it, there's no chance I could. Yeah, and and then he says I went to college, and I was looking on Instagram one day, saw a picture of Punk and Brian Danielson shaking hands, and he says, "Damn mm-hmm. it." Now I'm going to go out and I'm going to be the best in spite of you, punk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's out there pouring his heart out. He's tears coming down his face. Mm-hmm. And punk comes to the ring and he doesn't have a mic. He just asks Max, is this true? Is all that mm-hmm. true? And MJF walks out. And so the following week, punk's in the ring. He, 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 he calls MJF out and, and he tells, he talks about, you know, every day I wake up and I splash water in my face and I ask myself, am I the hero or the villain of my story? Mm-hmm. And today I answered, well, I'm trying. Mm-hmm. And he didn't apologize for anything, but he did. He, he said that and then offered his hand yeah. to MJF. And MJF didn't shake his hand. He hugged yeah. him. Yeah. And then yeah. kicked him in the balls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 That, no, the, the, yeah. The, um, the entirety of that feud going back to the, you know, the picture of him as a kid mm-hmm. to have that history right there. Mm-hmm. It added so much to it. The ring of honor, you know, throwback music and, and attire for the in dog the dog collar, collar match. match. Yeah. Um, and then of course the Wardlow stuff, you know, both in the Chicago cause Wardlow obviously helped MJF win in Chicago. Yeah. And then he helped him lose in, uh, at, uh, at the revolution or whatever it was. Uh-huh. Um, it, it, it's all it, like you said, it was constructed, 
absolutely brilliantly. It yeah. really was. It, it built was, to it, was, a, it built to a crescendo, and then it culminated mm-hmm. in a really satisfying manner. Yeah, right. And MJF was, you know, way better off afterwards. I mean, every time, every feud that MJF's been in basically has left him much better. It's a credit to him. It's a credit to people who work with him, and it's a credit to Tony Khan. Yeah. Um, But this seems very specifically designed to just get him. I mean, to have, you know, claiming two wins in Chicago over CM Punk, Mm -hmm. that's a pretty big deal. That's a massive deal. Yeah. That's a massive deal. Yeah, this this you know in this feud it really added dimension to MJF's character, um, to the likes you know we hadn't seen prior, um, you know, and, and and even in early phase of this of this feud and this story, you know, he was relying on the low hanging fruit for the promos, and that's something he had done you know for a vast majority of his run in AEW. But it seemed like this feud was really the one where okay, I have a personal, a really personal angle I could take with this. Yeah. I don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. You know, I can go for very pointed, very specific personal attacks now that don't rely on the low hanging fruit. And I remember thinking at the time in the very first promo, it was like, wait a second, is he doing this on purpose? Like, is he, mm-hmm. is he, is he going for the easy road yeah. on purpose? Because, and then, and then it seemed like that was the case because after that, when he went personal and died and, and dove into some really interesting character stuff mm-hmm. that, uh, that it really got interesting. Like, okay, it is the two generational promo guys yeah. in the ring together, yeah. you know, uh, it was that yeah. first promo where you just referred to him as PG punk. Yeah. It was lame stuff. It's like, this is kind of a letdown. Yeah, right. Yeah. Every, a lot of people just sort of took it for, at Facebook. It was like, oh my God, this is great. It's the best thing. But I remember you and I sitting there like, mm, this isn't great. But then the next time around when he opened up it always and built. got personal, yeah. it was like, holy shit, this is, this is really great stuff. Um, and in fact, you know, they sort of reference that what we got that first week was just the surface, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't, it wasn't the real deal. Mm-hmm. So yeah, interesting stuff. Uh, let's move on to number one. One, the Hangman Page Road to Title. Um, man, the Hangman Page dude. I know that he's got his detractors, uh, but you and I love him. Yeah, and you cannot deny that his story is one of the more interesting ones. Getting to that, absolutely, getting absolutely. to that title. I mean, it goes all the way back to the introductory press conference of AEW as a company. Where yeah. he made the claim, I am going to be the first champion. Mm-hmm. And what mm-hmm. did he do? He failed. He failed, yeah. He and lost. it's brought up so much insecurity, so much angst, so much anxiety. Mm-hmm. He turned to alcohol. Yeah. You know, he tried to, he tried, he's like, he, he made an effort to be his own man and get out of the elite. The Young Bucks wouldn't let him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he started the team with Kenny, come, Kenny coming off his own losing streak, his own run of failure. Mm-hmm. They find success together, but always seems so tenuous because of Kenny's relationship with the Young Bucks. Those are his best friends. Yeah. You know, and and gosh, that moment where there's that tournament um, that FTR eventually won um, for uh, uh, Kenny and, 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 and Hangman's opponents the night they, the show they eventually lost the belts, where Paige comes out and grabs, I think it's Nick Jackson's foot while he's mm-hmm. trying to do a springboard and costs them the match. Mm-hmm, yeah, and just how you could tell Hangman did so much of Hangman's story is in the subtlety, and he mm-hmm. does things and he instantly regrets it. Right? Yeah, you know, yeah. and that was one of those moments where he did. It's like I don't feel good about doing this, mm-hmm. but I felt yeah. he felt compelled to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's so much subtlety, so many layers, and um, like the the like the gaslighting and manipulation from like Kenny during that entire tag run. Where like you know FTR he would he would drink a beer with them, and not with Hangman, and they like ended up like pouring the beer all over his head. It was, it was it was such it was such good stuff, and it all fed into the insecurities of Hangman Page, yeah. which is one of the more interesting characters we have in wrestling. Definitely because of the subtleties, because of the internalization of yeah. it. Yeah, I mean he, Hangman Page still is is just, you know even after his title win, he's he's a flawed character. Yeah. And that's what I think makes him interesting. He's not a generic baby face. He's not like, yeah. you know, a, a, a lot of baby faces, especially during Vince's run in, 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 in WWE. Mm-hmm. You, you see a, a, a baby face like, say, Hulk Hogan. Mm-hmm. You know, take your, take your vitamins and drink your milk and say your prayers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that's not Hangman Page. Right. You know, Hangman is, is, is he's got insecurities. He's got anxiety. Mm-hmm. The anxious millennial cowboy. 
That's what he had a shirt that said that on there. You know, he's not in terms of the history of wrestling a prototypical babyface, but I think he is a really good babyface for the era we're in now. So much of the pro wrestlers, you know, what's one thing that's always interesting to me in pro sports is the idea of of dealing with pressure, with the pressure mm-hmm. of being a pro level athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, and Hangman Page takes, you know, pro wrestling, because these are all characters who are essentially being written, they can be whatever they want. Nine times out of 10, one thing they don't do is buckle under pressure. They don't feel the spotlight. They don't feel, you know, the the anxiety that comes with success. Um, and, uh, and Hangman Page is like imposter syndrome. He's all those things yeah. wrapped into one. But the one thing he's got is talent. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and to see him navigate this world is really interesting. It really is. And, of course, so we finally the, – the, the feud between – so let me go back a little bit. So the, the, the moment when, when Hangman and Kenny dropped the belts to FTR, you got that bit where oh. Paige is about to collapse. And rather than catching his partner and his friend, Kenny just lets him fall. Oh, man. Yeah. That was heartbreaking. That's even, that was even more heartbreaking than if Kenny had taken the boots to him. Honestly. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. Oh, that was rough. That was just rough let to them watch. fall. So then shortly thereafter that they have a eliminator tournament to determine new number contender for Mox. Both Paige and Kenny are in it. They beat in the finals. Kenny wins. Mm-hmm. A couple weeks later at Winter's Coming, he beats Mox for the belt. So you know the the story is going to be Paige and Kenny at some juncture. Mm-hmm. So and Kenny has that belt for almost a year. Mm-hmm. So uh, during the summer of twenty one. Um, there's a 10-man tag match where you have Paige and the Dark Order, uh, Kenny and the Bucks. Mm-hmm. And you think, all right, and if, if Paige wins, he gets his title shot. You think, all right, yeah. this is going to happen. And he loses again. Well, they do like a big, grandiose entrance, yeah. too, where he's got the purple on and he, they all do the thing. They all you know, the and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You think, this is yeah. it. This is his moment. And it's not. Again, the, pres- the pressure's on. The spotlight's on him. He wilts again. Yeah. And he's gone for a while. I mean, he's because mm-hmm. he, he, his wife had a baby. Um, mm-hmm. But they wrapped, they they worked his leave into the story and had it make make sense. Mm-hmm. And so he comes back uh, and wins the casino ladder match and gets his title opportunity at Full Gear 2021. Mm-hmm. And in a stellar bout, absolutely amazing bout, uh, finally beats Kenny. Yeah, yeah. No, it was just, it's really great stuff. And you can, you know, debate how good or not his uh, his title run was you know CM Punk entered enter the picture and seemingly you know took the thunder or at least yeah. the attention of Tony yeah. Khan away from him and yeah it's, it's a bummer because Paige is is one of the most relatable characters in all of wrestling because you know you, you see the battles that he goes through with himself mm-hmm. and regardless of the situation he's in I think a lot of us see that and think. Mm-hmm. I've been in that scenario before. Yeah, I've right. been in that situation. He just comes across as one of the most human characters mm-hmm. there is. He's not perfect. Right. Yeah. You know, I mentioned Hogan and, and, and obviously behind the scenes, Hogan's far from perfect. Um, and even looking back now, you look at Hogan's run in his prime in WB and I don't, some of the shit he did, I would describe as, per, as being perfect, quote unquote. Yeah. But that's yeah. how they portrayed him. Yeah. As this upstanding uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, guy yeah. who who had near perfect morals. That's mm-hmm. how they portray him in WWE. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and and Hangman's just not that type of character. And I'm happy because I don't that that type of character doesn't work these days. It does. It's just not interesting. No, know? it's not. Yeah. Um. And uh. And yeah, it, it would have been a lot more. You know what, what's funny? What's interesting about his ascent. And how long it took is that it's in the fabric of AEW. Mm-hmm. It's like woven into the into the genes of AEW. Mm-hmm. And as soon as he won that title, it was as if he was on an island. It just became okay. Who's next? After that, who's next? After that, well, after that, it was like CM Punk. Yeah, it was but uh, yeah, but it was like you know, it was Cole Dan, it was Danielson, Cole, and CM Punk were the major feuds, and it just felt like. One after another after another. And they didn't revisit this idea that this guy had been through a lot in that company, you know, whether it was with the Dark Order or the Elite or whatever. They didn't really like involve him in anything beyond his own be just being on his own island. And he he is most interesting when he is, you know, who he is 
and playing within, off other characters. Yeah, within the entirety of the yeah. world of AEW. Yeah, that's we, when he's most interesting. And we saw that just recently with you know he he had been on that island, and now the Dark Order have kind of re-entered the picture. We saw the the the, the tension between between him and Evil Uno, mm-hmm, yeah. and that led to the match with Uno and Mox. Mm-hmm. And but still. even like yeah, him and the rest of the Blackpool Combat Club, how they yeah. interact. Yeah, it's it's Renee. Whenever mm-hmm. he's interviewed, it's always got to be with Renee, and he's yeah. got that resentment because that's that's Mox's wife. Mm-hmm. And so you see all these characters playing off of him, and that works really well. And they didn't do that when he was champion. It was okay. He's there. Oh, we've got this guy CM Punk over here. We really like him, so I'm going to focus my energy. Same thing with Thunder Rosa. She's champion now. Oh, there's Jade Cargill. We're going to focus on a new title over here. Yeah, it's always do it. And then move on to something else. And this this thing that you just spent all this time building yeah. is just is just left alone. Yeah, I know. It was it was a bummer that the 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 the, the extent of Hangman's story post winning the title was all right, now he's gonna be essentially put through the ringer mm-hmm, with all yeah. these physical matches to prove that he could be a champion. And that was mm-hmm. essentially it. With nothing yeah. m- more in terms of who Hangman is now as a character after winning the title. Mm-hmm, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What does that mean for the, his insecurities? Mm-hmm. You know, what does that mean for his angst, for his anxieties? Mm-hmm. Does all that just kind of go away now because he has this belt? Yeah. We didn't really mm-hmm. get enough of that. Right. Yeah. There was so much more ground there to cover. Yeah. 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 Uh, so anyways, uh, let us know what you guys think in the comments below. What are some of your favorite stories from AEW past, present, and future that doesn't make any sense well, let yeah, us know what you guys time think. travelers in our audience hey that'd be kind of cool uh let us know what you guys think in the comments below thanks everybody for tuning in we appreciate it next week the worst builds to wrestlemania no, main weeks, events two weeks because next week no you're right sorry my bad to wrestlemania <laughs> thanks for watching till next time we'll talk to you later should get my mouth shut bye <laughs> every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.